The following episode of the 9pm Edict is the first of three specials for the 9pm Urgent Hardware Refresh. Your generosity has been noted and reported to the relevant authorities. This episode contains strong language and violent sexual imagery. I mean really, violent, sexual, imagery. Sunday, the 23rd of August 2015, Australia's Attorney General invents a whole new category of legal practice. Vigilante litigation. A man who did not bomb Bangkok explains who to blame for everything that went wrong. It's just the social media that spread the rumours that made Thailand believe that I was an actual terrorist. And don't worry. NASA says there's not one shred of evidence that an asteroid or any other object from outer space will strike our planet anywhere in September. Oh, well, that's a bloody disappointment. This is the 9pm Your Asteroid is Useless. We will return to the topic of Australia's Attorney General, Senator George Soapy, the Ankle Brandis QC, later in this podcast for four lusciously erotic minutes. But first, uh, the story from Bangkok the other morning uh, when, um, well, actually some wine first. Uh-huh. Uh, this is more of the uh, secret wine that I'm not allowed to tell you about. Um, yes, Bangkok. I am uh, I am a terrible, terrible person. Uh, as this news was breaking on Wednesday morning. In the news this morning, there has been a second explosion in Bangkok. The blast happened at a ferry pier where an explosive device was thrown from a bridge. No one was hurt. It happened less, of course, than 24 hours after Monday night's bombing, which killed at least 23 people. Which is, of course, a great tragedy. And that part of the story I take very seriously indeed. My heart goes out to... Uh, the city of Bangkok, as it does in so many ways. But while that was unfolding, I was pissing myself laughing over a headline at the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, Australian model questioned after being accused of being Bangkok bomber. This, I mean, someone being accused of being a terrorist, right? It's pretty serious. But um, no, look, I'll let Sunrise continue explaining it. Vision has been released of a suspect, a man who left a backpack at the Hindu shrine. It comes as an Australian actor and model was caught up in the investigation. Sonny Burns went to police after photos comparing him to the suspect began appearing on social media. Sonny has since been released. And Sonny Burns joins us from Bangkok this morning. Good morning, Sonny. How surprised were you when you saw your own picture online comparing you with this suspect? Well, I almost had a panic attack. It was traumatic. I was shopping at Siam Paragon. Or as it's pronounced, Siam Paragon, but, you know, don't let that trouble you. If you don't know Bangkok, Siam Paragon is like the, the most fashionable upper middle class shopping mall in the entire city. It is one of the most Instagrammed places on earth earth because all of the kids go there to take pictures of themselves and their friends with the latest latest stuff of course that's where our actor and model was shopping and you know i'm nobody in australia but in thailand i I shot a movie and fan club came to me and said sunny people think you're a terrorist i almost died 
so, I'm, I'm still in shock and really saddened. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary stuff. What happened? You then went to the police, did you? I had no other choice, you know. In social media, they posted my immigration papers. They posted where I lived. You know, I had no other choice but to go to police. People were accusing me of being a terrorist and killing those 20 people and injuring those 100 people. So I had no other choice but to go to the police. And then what happened? What did they say? What did they do to you? And then they went to your house? Yeah, so the police were amazing. Um, they went to my house, they searched for bombs, they asked me questions. I was in there for about six hours. It's just the social media that spread the rumours that made Thailand believe that I was an actual terrorist. That goddamn social media. Actually, it's pretty effective stuff, this social media, when you think about it, because I don't know about you, but so far I'm not exactly convinced that this guy could actually be a terrorist, if you know what I'm saying. How did they treat you during that time and how long did it last, the in investigation? Um, the investigation lasts probably about six hours. Like I said, the police in Thailand were amazing. It was the social media saying that I killed all these people. That was the traumatic part of this experience. And what type of questions were the police asking you, Sonny? Um, where were you? What do you do in Bangkok? Were you around the shrine at the time of the attack? Um, just the general types of questions, my religion, where I'm from in Australia. Just the general types of questions. Just the general types of questions, whatever they are. Look, Sonny, not all of us have been, you know, accused of being a terrorist bomber, so maybe you could have filled us in with a little bit more detail there. Like six hours of investigations, uh, and that's the only questions. Doesn't seem likely to me. Was there a time during that six hours that you thought, I'm in serious trouble here? Of course, when I arrived, I only know a little bit of Thai and the big scary boss, he came and he started screaming at me and I thought, oh my God, this is a setup. I'm going to be like Chappelle Corby, but a terrorist version. Yeah, let's repeat that because it's such a luscious mental image, I think. I'm going to be like Chappelle Corby, but a terrorist version. And, you know, it's not like Australia here. This is Thailand, but, you know. Yeah, I know. Did you go... I was just by myself. I had no... Yeah, you didn't go and get a lawyer or have someone who could speak Thai to help you? You know, I, I didn't have time. You know, I, I had to go straight to the police because they were looking for me. It was, it was that stressful that I had to go straight to the police and basically say, hi, I'm Sunny and I'm not a terrorist. Yeah. So... Gosh, what, and your poor family and friends back home as well. Um, what, how I haven't even spoken to my mum yet. Oh, haven't you? So she might be watching this. No, I know, mum, I'm okay. To say, give, give grandma a kiss and give my dog a hug. I'm safe, I'm all right. <laughs> oh, you poor thing, how stressful for them. Um, you know, we, we're hearing oh. about this second blast now that was thrown off the bridge. How concerned are you as an Aussie yeah. living in Bangkok, like a lot of people do? You know what, Thailand is such a safe country and as an actor here in Thailand, the Thai people are just in shock as everyone else. This type of thing doesn't happen in Bangkok. This type of thing doesn't happen in Bangkok. And while he's saying that, they're rolling footage of it happening for the second time that week in Bangkok. Kind of a 
cognitive dissonance thing going on there, but Sonny couldn't see that. I'll, I'll give him a free pass for that one. So, you know, I don't feel scared about living here. I feel really safe. It was just the social media that really made this bigger than Ben-Hur. That goddamn social media again! God damn it, you social media! Bigger than Ben-Hur. But as far as the bombings are concerned, you know, two in 24 hours, do you think that will have an impact on people, uh, tourists going to Bangkok? Um, I hope not, and it shouldn't, because Thailand is a really safe country. They're a Buddhist country. They're so peaceful and shy and, you know... They need Australia to help them. They need to, the Australians to come over. Otherwise, the Thai economy is going to fall flat and the Thai people really need Australia's help more than ever now. Mm. OK, look, Sonny, thank you very much. Uh, scary thing to be involved in. How, what a bizarre last oh, 24 so hours. scary. Sonny, thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Sunrise. What Sunrise didn't have is uh, some of Sonny's postings on social media later in the day where he said that social media and some jealous haters spreading gossip was the the reason he got caught up in all this. I'm always fascinated by this, this idea, jealous haters. They hate me because they're jealous. Talk about self-centred. The the idea that they're jealous because I'm so wonderful and you're not as wonderful as me. You're just a hater. So I do wonder, uh, who exactly put his immigration papers online? Where did they come from? The police? I'm not so sure. They didn't know who he... It's all very confusing. Uh, Sunrise also didn't have an even better post on social media that he said uh, later in the day uh, that he was being well looked after by the police and saying he couldn't possibly be the yellow-shirted bombing suspect seen in the video because, quote, I would never wear those clothing. I'm a fashion blogger. (laughs) Fashion blogger. So that's it, is it, really? That's the end result of 4.5 billion years of human evolution. I would never wear those clothing. I'm a fashion blogger. Thank you, Sonny. You really made my day. Um, Actually, I don't think our our 4.5 billion years of evolution have been a complete waste because I want to contrast uh, Sonny's um, bravery there and and really his medal-winning performance on television and in the Thai police station uh, with with the effort the other day of uh, ABC television breakfast presenter Virginia Trioli, I'll let her tell the story herself. I came downstairs to drive to work this morning and um, my car was parked out the front and there was a man in my car. And, Would you just uh, repeat that sentence? <laughs> there was a bloke in my car. And so I went around and the door was sort of ajar and there was a guy in my car. I'm not going to lie, I didn't use very good language at him. I may have sworn, I may have sworn a few times, but I told him to get out of my car. Then he got out of the car and I said, what the hell were you doing in there? And he said, oh, I just needed somewhere to sleep. Um, and I said, no, you didn't. And anyway, so I got very, very cross and I told him to go and stand over on the curb, <laughs> which he did, and um, I called the did, police. Just stop there. At any moment, <laughs> just connecting the dots here, people, did you actually worry about this going Horribly and violently wrong I was wrong really for you. Cr- I was really angry. I was far too angry to be scared. I'm a little scared right now. 
thinking on it. But I was really cross. Mm. And so I made him stand there and uh, I called the police. And he stayed? He did stay. And, um, and <laughs> Mind you, just quietly, so would I if I was told <laughs> oh, to do that by you too. You know, I mean, I, he didn't kind of know where he was, I don't think. Um, and uh, anyway, and the, I drank Chipolo and they said, are you holding him? And I said, yes, you know, get here. And then there was the longest four minutes of my life while I stood there with him. And I got four minutes, and I got very Please. mad at him. And I told him again, you know, and he was sort of a bit apologetic and said he he said he knew it didn't mean anything to me, but he's sorry he did that. And we talked about the fact that he was, you know, he said he had nowhere to sleep. And I asked him where he'd been sleeping lately. And and then the police came and they sort of came on and said, "How did you manage to keep him here?" And I, I said, "I asked him to stay, and he did." And anyway, and the police took him away. And I hope he's all right. But and my and you know what's missing to my from my car? I realised one thing was missing. What? The, um, the, the pass to get into the, par- the car park. <laughs> so that's, that's been liberated, has it? <laughs> that's okay, get into the car park. <laughs> what, if anymore, he, but... what if he was just wanting a place to sleep? Um, he may have been, although he was clearly rummaging yeah, through the okay. car. But um, wow. no, I, I hope he finds somewhere. I hope he gets his life together. But anyway, but that may be why I'm a little bit amped up this morning. And can I just big shout out yep. to Senior Constable Mark Street for, um, for his kindliness this morning and for looking after me and for also treating that bloke with some kindness yep. too. So thanks. And of course, a very a big warning do not try this at home. No. People. No, don't, we're, no. We're, not, we're not encouraging this sort of behaviour at all, are on ref- we, Virginia? On reflection, I'm thinking that was probably not... The, what, what was I supposed... What should I have done? Gone back inside and yeah. called the cops. Right. He's in my car. But he was in my car. I appreciate that, Virginia. I completely understand that because once on the train uh, in Sydney, uh, a couple of young lads tried to mug me. Like, I was sitting on the train and I was travelling with a friend of mine. Uh, We were coming into the city and these two lads got on the train at Redfern and came up to us. One came up to me, one came up to my friend, the one came up to me and said, give us your wallet. And I just said, no, no. I said, I've had a, a fucking shit of a day. I've got 20 bucks left in my wallet. I'm going with my mate. We're going to have a beer and spend that 20 bucks because I've had, as I say, a shit of a day and you're not fucking well taking it. And by the way, just can you tell your mate to stop punching my friend? It's not appreciated here. Now, here's how I see it. You've just pissed away half of your 120 seconds between Redfern and where you presumably plan to get off at Central. So if you just basically fuck off and leave us alone, you can get off at Central, you can walk away with your mate, and please tell your mate to stop punching my friend, all right, because it's really just not on. And you two go away, that'll be the end of it. I'll take my last 20 bucks and have a couple of beers and deal with my shit day, and you guys aren't making it any worse, all right? And he said, oh, oh, yeah, sorry, mate. And by that stage, we are pretty much at Central Station. And they got off. Now... I completely understand that I probably shouldn't have done that. Virginia Trioli probably shouldn't have arced up and got that guy to <laughs> ask him to stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, Virginia. Um, but in that context, I, I compare that with the uh, uh, the bravery of Sonny Burns' um, hero. Uh, I don't know why he's not serving in Afghanistan. It's, it's, it's really he could have sort that sort that whole thing out within within days. Um, and it's in this, this context that I want to read a media release uh, from the New South Wales Police that came in this afternoon. Um, and, and I wish to say here that I'm not condoning crime in any way, but have a listen to this. 
Eight teenage girls have been arrested following an attempted armed robbery in Shell Harbour last night. Shell Harbour is uh, uh, down near Wollongong, an industrial city about an hour and a half south of uh, Sydney. Uh, About 9pm Saturday night, a 19-year-old girl was sitting at a bus stop on Lake Entrance Road when she was approached by a group of eight girls. One of the girls threatened the 19-year-old girl with a knife demanding her phone. The older teen, that is the 19-year-old, refused and called the police. Police came, followed up. Following inquiries, eight girls were arrested. Now, let's have a look here. A 14-year-old girl was charged with assault with intent to rob armed with offensive weapon, breach of bail, trespass and goods in custody. That is, she had stolen goods on her, refused bail, will appear in children's court uh, in due course. Seven other girls charged, as it says here, with unrelated offences, but... 13-year-old girl charged with a a detention application hyphen arrest, that is, she's meant to be in detention and is meant to be arrested. A 15-year-old girl charged with destroy or damage property. A 13-year-old girl charged in relation to an outstanding warrant. A 14-year-old girl charged with goods in personal custody suspected of being stolen. A 15-year-old girl charged with uh, enter enclosed land and refuse bail. A 14-year-old girl charged with destroy or damage property and a 13-year-old girl charged with assault officer in execution of duty times two. That is, she took on the cops. Two of them. That is what Australian teenagers do. Virginia Trioli is the prime example of what Australian women should be doing. I am a prime, prime example. Okay, this doesn't work so well, does it? I am a prime example of what Australian men should be doing in the face of attempted crimes. Sonny Burns. Maybe you did. Maybe you did post that bomb, and this is all an act. That's it, isn't it? This whole... He's an actor. This whole fucking thing is an act. You got away with it, Sonny. You got away with it. Well done, son. Well done. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. This podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and your subscriptions. And one, I've got. But before, wait, wait. Before you turn off, because that's the same words I use every time. There's something special going to happen here, which you probably know about already. But I'm going to create that faux sense of drama that we in the media must do. We're forced to do it. This podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and your subscriptions and one-off contributions. Thank you. This episode to new premium pint subscriber Andrew Zamet. Good evening, sir. And to generous one-off contributors Tim Bell and Gary, although Gary was kind of technically chucking in his money to go towards the 5 at 5 email newsletter, but you deserve a mention too. Thank you, Gary. But more importantly, this is the first in a set of podcast episodes that are the result of the 9pm Urgent Hardware Refresh. Thank you, the listeners to this podcast, for generously 
piling in the money so that I not only can replace my dying computer, I can actually upgrade my audio recording rig so that I will be able to record live podcasts in the field, maybe even uh, do them live on the internet, live stream them as it's happening. More on that as things happen. But in return for all of your generous contributions, I must do some content in return. And the very first thing is something I threw in at the last minute. It's a game called One of Three Words, Number One. So here's how this works. Uh, The various foot soldiers for media freedom have nominated a word, one of three words. I'm then going to select randomly three of those one of three words and improvise upon that topic for 60 seconds. This is actually going to be done for real. I have uh, written the words here on this uh, piece of paper. You're just going to have to trust me uh, that uh, this is all going to be done legitimately because uh, if you uh, were a regular watcher of the... uh, the video, live video program, Stilgarian Live, you will know that we, we had a similar sort of thing where we, uh, we, we drew people's names uh, from, uh, from the cocktail shaker of integrity. You know, we gave them a good shake and drew them out and uh, Apostrophe Pong was there to be a witness and, and you could watch it on video and, 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 you know, it was all legit. Now, the Cocktail Shaker of Integrity is uh, currently in storage. So I have instead the kind of um, the, the bedpan of truth. And uh, as you can see, I, I am putting the little slips of paper that I'm cutting off. Uh, with the words on them, into the bedpan of ultimate truth. I think it really is, isn't it? And uh, I'll have that done in a second. And then I will draw out the first of uh, the first set of three words for this new game, one word of three. Okay, so there they all are in there. I'm going to uh, look the other way. Shake that around a bit. And the first word out is... Defenestration. Suggested by Ian Trufit. It means to throw out of a window. And the second word... Musk. Suggested by Stuart Young. And the third word... Frankenstein. Suggested by Stephen Holmes. Uh, Right, okay. And I have a 60-second timer here, pressing... Start. I was concerned when Dr. Frankenstein first showed me his monster. It seemed cobbled together from all of these body parts and most unattractive. But then I smelt its musk and I couldn't resist. I soon got over the the idea of it being rotting flesh and realised that makes it more pliant, that makes it slightly moist, that makes it more appealing, more erotically fascinating. I moved closer to it. I 
I was erect within an instant. But then it came to life. It roared at me. Its strength was absolutely overpowering. I had to reach for a knife, grab it, stab it, and defenestrate it. Oh, dear. Casual verbaling. B-grade evangelists for media freedom who contributed to the 9pm urgent hardware refresh uh, will be quoted on what they are alleged to have said. So let's get into that because I've got quite a few to work through here. Michael Neal wishes to point out that those mince pies at Christmas have got to go. Mince can only mean meat. I, I agree, Michael. I think of that every time I see Christopher Pine. Whoop! Mince can only mean meat. Apple pies are fine, but this invasion of stupidly named sugary things has to stop. Well, of course, Michael Neal is a developer, so avoiding sugary things is really something he's to fucking will pay attention to, and I'm glad to see he's taking it on board and lying about his prime motivation. That's media freedom right there. Not bad for a B-grader there, Michael. Tongue lashings. A-grade evangelists for media freedom are entitled to a tongue lashing, and Damon is the first up who says, <laughs> please make something up as long as it's not remotely believable as being a real person. Well, that is A-grade media evangelism right there, Damon. You already realise that all media is a work of fiction. As Damon said to me only the other day, I'm glad that all news is basically made up because if my family discovered that I secretly stitched together the body parts of random corpses I dig up and use them as some kind of giant putrescent fleshlight for my own pleasure, banging away while whistling the theme from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, they might start to worry about my mental health. So that's A-grade evangelism for media freedom right there. Thank you, Damon. Also, Brendan Forster, who wishes to point out that the 2016 census, the Australian census, which is on Tuesday, the 9th of August next year, 2016, is online by default. This process will fuck up in such a glorious fashion. Let's look at Australia's history when it comes to this sort of thing. Look back at Click Frenzy a couple of years ago, where a shop couldn't even sell stuff and fell over for hours. Look at the Australian Taxation Office's new online tax thing this year, where even spread over days, weeks, the whole thing fell over. We'll consider 9th of August next year, 24 million Australians, 11 million households. Maybe 50% of them are online. Five and a half million people all hitting the one site at once and not just saying, oh, I'd like to buy a 
packet of frangers and a, and a six-pack of beer. No, they're going to have to go through this complicated live form that has to be kept open all the time. Oh, yes, I'm a married Hindu dog fucker employed as a columnist in Surrey Hills or whatever it might be. It's going to be like every single pervert in the city is converging on the same kindergarten for a bit of convivial preschool education of a carnal nature. And only one kindergarten teacher, the one kindergarten teacher who's still employed because the rest of them are up before a royal commission says, no, you can't come in memory allocation area, you fucking disgusting piece of filth. Well, that's what it's going to be like. And the entire population of Australia will end up being recorded for the first time in living history as 18 men, six women and a mangy dog called Brian. And the OECD will look at the results and go, oh, yeah, well, that's fucking marvellous. Two minutes hate for Peter Leverdink. Mr. Leverdink has drawn my attention to uh, an article uh, in The Independent recently which discussed... <laughs> discussed. There's a uh, homonym for you, if you like homonyms, and I know I do. About the Oxford... Comma. I'm just trying to get it up on the screen in front of me now. I'm generally trying to get it up on the screen most days, to be perfectly honest. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where it is? Here we go. The importance of the comma. From Anne Patchett of Nashville to the editor. I was grateful to see my book, This is the Story of a Happy Marriage, mentioned in paperback row on October 19th. When highlighting a few of the essays in the collection, the review mentions topics ranging from, quote, her stabilising second marriage to her beloved dog. Without benefit of comma. Thus giving the impression that Sparky and I are hitched. While my love for my dog is deep, he is married to a dog named Maggie at Parnassus Books last summer as part of a successful fundraiser for the Nashville Humane Association. I am married to Carl Vandervender. We're all very happy in our respective unions. Well, the first cause for concern here is that it seems that Parnassus Books is some sort of canine knock shop. I don't know how much that uh, Ms. Patchett has been leasing out her dog for, but I wish to point out that these um, punctuation-addled perverts from Oxford want you to use this comma because it's all part of their diversion tactic. The Oxford comma, that is to say, in a list where you say, I would like peas comma, carrots, comma, and apricots, is because they want to disguise the fact that they're all porking lubed up animals in bookstores, going at it like a six-handed carpenter who's been drafted into the Navy and has been out of sight of land for six months. And you know what these people are going to be up to next? The Oxford emoji. It won't 
just be the eggplant or the partly peeled banana. Oh, no, it'll be the hollowed-out melon, the overripe cantaloupe. It'll be an entire semester of the first-year classics students referring slyly to a whole range of fruit and vegetables by their Latin names because they don't want to give the game away right. And the rest of us, the rest of us sad, sorry workers, those of us who didn't make it into one of the world's top fucking universities, will be scrabbling amongst the spoiled garlic and the soiled scuff mark zucchinis for something to fucking eat that hasn't been used as a sex toy by next year's Tory cabinet. That's how this will end, mark my words. <laughs> Elephant stamp time! Elephant stamp time! Oh, it's too hard. Elephant stamp time! Each episode of this podcast, I give elephant stamps of approval to people who have been exceptional in the category of thinking and. I've only got one this episode because it's actually running quite late and I need to finish this so I can get it out of the way and get to bed. This elephant stamp goes to Senator Eric Abetz, Minister for Employment, for just the stupidity of trying to lie about something that is on the public record that same day. Now... If you've been watching the news, you will know that the uh, the rabbit government is leaking like a sieve. And on Wednesday, here's what Senator Abetz said about people who leak from Cabinet. I uh, talk to my colleagues face-to-face, or not at all. Um, I'm not one of those people that has uh, unattributed comments in the media. Um, one, I think it's gutless. Two, it's a breach of the rules. And so if somebody is gutless and in breach of the rules, one really wonders why a journalist even bothers to repeat comments from such an individual. <laughs> So there he is. He's saying that people who leak are gutless. So this was widely reported, uh, given that cabinet colleagues are clearly leaking, as Erica Betts had said that cabinet colleagues were gutless. I mean, that's joining the dots, right? People who leak are gutless. There are cabinet colleagues leaking. Therefore, some of the cabinet colleagues are gutless. The very next day, Erica Betts denies saying that he said cabinet colleagues were gutless, saying he was misquoted. He said, quote, the ABC, surprise, surprise, misquotes me. It's on fucking tape, you dipshit. Elephant stamp to Senator Erica Betts. Liar, fraud, and stupid person. Apart from sending me money, which is always nice, and I appreciate money, obviously, you can also contribute to this podcast by injecting your brain into the proceedings. 
No one's done that in quite some time except my former housemate, Nicholas Fryer, who has been consistent, if nothing else, and creative, if you think about it, and full of wisdom, if you really do appreciate what's going on, with his regular contributions. And now we all pause to work out whether I got the grammar right in all of that nested subordinate clauses, in all of those nested subordinate clauses. Close enough for a government job, right? Here is this episode's contribution from Nicholas Fryer. Regular listeners to the edict will by now know roughly what the intrusion of my voice at this point in the podcast means. If things have gone according to the usual pattern, Stilgarian's just finished explaining that contributions to the podcast can be made either in cash or by making a comment. He'll then have observed that the most persistent such commenter is me, a sentence to which I always attend closely with the aim of detecting a hint of weary sigh, so far without any too obvious result. He may have noted that these burblings even have a title, and if he has, he's then probably gone coyly on to advise that he's not going to tell you what it is. Thus forewarned, you will now be expecting, either with enthusiasm, resignation or a hurried search for the skip button, something like five minutes of attempted whimsy, possibly with a vague connection to the current state of federal politics. This week I may disappoint. On the issue of the title, well, it's Still's podcast and he can call my intrusion whatever he likes. I, however, when I'm talking to my imaginary friends and the other voices in my head, call them the Arch Window. A nod, of course, to that institution of children's television, Play School, which I grew up watching in its original BBC incarnation, since deceased, which Australian listeners will know from the version still being produced by the National Broadcaster. If anyone has copyright on the term, cease and desist notices can be sent to me, contact details, available at my own website, nickfryer.net. That's N-I-C-K-F-R-Y-E-R. The purpose of all of the above is twofold. The first, of course, is to force Still's hand and give this thing a title so that I can refer to it as something. I'm going to call it the window in a couple of sentences. See if you notice. The second is to test my suspicion that Still long ago stopped even listening to these maunderings before dropping them into the podcast. If his lead-in, just delivered, followed the established pattern noted above, well, I'm going to call that proved, and next time I can get on with what I've wanted to do all along, which is to offer some observations on his habits, character traits, table manners, sexual morals, personal hygiene and dress sense, and have him broadcast those unwittingly to his own audience. Everything I've done to date has been a sleeper with that ultimate goal. In the meantime, however, I have the next handful of minutes to fill, and I confess that I've been somewhat hard-pressed to get enthused about writing this edition of The Window. If any of you have managed to watch anything coming out of Canberra in the last fortnight without being overwhelmed by lassitude and ennui, then you're a better man or woman than I. At no point was any of it any good but after the meaningless posturing on carbon dioxide emission levels, I finally reached the screaming and kicking the cat stage while watching this self-styled adult government wedge itself over the issue of gay marriage. Cynicism, always this government's modus operandi, is now seemingly its actual raison d'etre. Nothing else could explain such stupidity. Here we had the sub-prime minister committing the government to a policy nobody outside the party room wants, 
and then trying to sell that by insisting that, well, what they're doing obviously isn't stupid and wrong. It would be stupid and wrong after the next election, so then they'll do something else. That policy, whatever it is, will be decided by plebiscite or referendum, because you know, questions of ethics and equal rights before the law will be vastly different in the hyper-weird society in which we'll be living in that unimaginably distant future of next year, when most of us will, I, I suppose, be merely squidgy, pulsating components of bizarre hive minds living in satellites with our pets in spacesuits or some shit. And none of this, honest, none of it, is in any way intended as a means of simply burying the whole messy issue for another generation just to please a couple of thousand religious bigots who can't cope with the terrifying new world we're entering of common sense and basic decency. This isn't political theatre. It's not even political soap opera. This is political reality television. Government at the level of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Only without even C-list celebrities with no hope of escape for any of us. When the red mist lifted, I discovered that at some point I'd frisbeed my dinner plate through the television screen, and I was lying on the carpet in a noticeable wet patch of what I hope was my own saliva. In the end, I decided it was a better use of my time this fortnight to contract a serious illness, so I've had all seven of the dwarves of influenza, sneezy, sniffy, snotty, sweaty, clammy, phlegmy and woozy, camped out in my bedroom, dancing around my delirious head, laughing maniacally. And what a pleasant change from watching our elected representatives that turned out to be. Right, I'm done. Now, listen closely to the outro. If still goes without comment straight to that sting that he uses to make this thing sound a bit like a current affairs programme, we're on. I'm fucking on to you now, you cunt. I, yeah, I don't know what to say now, except uh, that to point out that we're 41 minutes and uh, 10 seconds into the podcast and uh, dealing with all of your requested uh, content is taking a lot longer than I thought it might. So I'm going to have to replan things. Uh, stand by for that. But uh, to finish up, let's do one of three words. Number two. Okay, I have the um, bedpan of um, of ultimate truth, and I'm drawing out uh, the first word of one word of three. Erg, suggested by Wibbly Lemmund. Erg, erg's not even a word, is it? Oh well, got to go with it. Second word. Prevaricate, suggested by Lucas James. It means to speak or act in an evasive way. And the third word. Perfidious, suggested by Mark Hollins. It means deceitful and untrustworthy. <laughs> I bet it does. Okay, starting the timer and go. Uh, but do I actually want to start this segment or not? I mean, I, I, I suppose I could start it now. <sighs> then I could kind of leave it for a bit, or maybe I could come back to record. No, uh, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll start it now. Uh, moving on from that prefabrication. 
um, you really do need to look at uh, just the behaviour of the rabbit government of late. I mean, just the entire perfidious nature of it. I mean, that bit that I played of Erica Bits just before, um, he straight up lied about what he'd said on record and said, oh, no, I didn't say that, and blamed someone else. All part of this, blame the ABC, the ABC is evil. Ugh. It's just terrible. Well, that's all for the edict for now. There's links to some of the things I mentioned on the podcast webpage. You can leave a comment there, just type some words. You can leave an audio comment, blah blarty, blah blah you know this shit. Watch out midweek for details of how you can be in the live audience for the Public House Forum to be recorded on Saturday, the 12th of September. But before then, before then, the next episode of the 9pm Edict will appear on Monday, the 31st of August. It's about a week away. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Have a great life. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry, I mean... Really, really sorry, portions of this podcast which did not affect the final outcome have been fabricated. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Um, Yeah, I didn't quite get to the four minutes about Soapy, and uh, there's a few other things I had to really uh, cut and change as I went along, because uh, dealing with your content for the 9pm Urgent Hardware Refresh actually turned out to be... um, more challenging, more complicated than I'd imagined. So um, that's how I dealt with it this time. I'll work on um, how I feed that stuff into coming editions. I think it's going to be more than the three episodes that that spread over. But if you have any comments, complaints, suggestions, um, uh, other things that you wish to pass on, you know, you know what to do. Okay. You know, you really, you really, really do know what to do. Why are you still listening? It's over. No, no, it's over.